So, there we go. All right, we're in Romans chapter 1 today. Romans chapter 1. Sorry, I didn't mean to do that. Yes, I did. Romans chapter 1. Paul is the writer of the book of Romans. Uh, 25 years ago, before the book of Romans was written, Paul, uh, you remember, he was a... He was a part of the council. He was a part of the 70 council judges, if you will, in Jerusalem um, uh, with the, what was known as the, the, uh, uh, the religious center of, of Judaism. He was a Pharisee. He was a fellow that excelled above all Pharisees. He was a, a guy that was, uh, that was mentored by a fellow by the name of Gamaliel. Gamaliel is a fellow that, that uh, even to this day, he is known as the last true and greatest Pharisee. The last true and greatest Pharisee was Gamaliel. And he was the mentor to Paul. So Paul had a great uh, stock that he came from. Uh, doctrinally, uh, back in his day, uh, theologically, according to the way that they understood the Bible at that time. The problem was, is that the way that they understood the Bible had sifted and filtered through uh, hundreds of years of different teachers that would come along and, and make doctrines out of traditions. And it's for that reason that Jesus came on the scene. You remember that Jesus came on the scene and he uh, the people that he butted heads with all the time were who? They were the religious leaders, right? They were the religious leaders, and they were the ones that, that, uh, that Jesus would butt heads with. In fact, he went so far as to say to them at one time, he says, uh, you know, they said, oh, you're, you're of Beelzebub. You know, you are a, a man. They're saying this about Jesus. And Jesus said, uh, no, actually, you guys are of your father, the devil. You say that you have Abraham as a father, but if, if Abraham really were your father, you would like me. You would, you would adhere to what it is that I say, for Abraham rejoiced to see my day. And, and he had called these guys basically sons of hell, if you will. He says, you are of your father, the devil. And so Jesus is saying that because they had, uh, through the years, filtered in so much and allowed to sift in so much tradition into uh, doctrine and into the teachings of the Word of God that it became adulterated. It became an abortion, if anything. It was a horrible doctrine. It was a horrible teaching. And, and it was not true to what it was that God had intended it to be, what God had intended it to be. And so when Jesus comes on the scene, he's setting that straight. He is setting that straight. And you remember, as he said that to the guys, he says, you know, here's the thing. If, if, if Abraham really were your pop, you know, you'd like me, you'd adhere to me, you would accept who it is that I am. For Abraham actually rejoiced to see my day. And that's when they took up stones to, 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 to kill him because they said, wait a minute, you're not even yet 50 years old. He was about 33 years old at the time. They said to him, you're not yet even 50 years old, and you say you've seen Abraham, and that's where Jesus said, 
let me tell you, before Abraham was, I am. And the very statement of him saying that, uh, he didn't say I'm he, he used a term that was attributed only to God, found back in the book of Exodus chapter 3, when Moses, you remember, Moses was going to go to the children of Israel. Um, they were bound, you know, they were, uh, uh, you know, in, basically in bondage in Egypt under the mighty hand of Pharaoh, under the strong hand of Pharaoh in Egypt. We all know the story. And you remember that, that uh, God had called Abraham, or not Abraham, but Moses, to go in and, and set the people free. You go in and you tell them uh, that I'm going to set them free. And you remember as Moses went in, or before he went in, he's, he's rebutting God. He's, he's arguing with the Lord. He's saying, but God, you know, here I am. It's just me. It's Moses. I mean, come on. You know, what if I go there and they don't know who I am and, and they, they go, well, okay, we're going to listen to you, you know? Moses says, who should I say sent me to tell them that you're telling me this? You know, I'm in a wilderness right now and you're telling me this? Come on. And God said to Moses on that day, he says, you tell them, I am has sent me to you. I am that I am has sent me to you. They'll understand that it's me. They'll understand that I, God, am speaking to them and through you. And, and so Moses, he did do that. But here's the thing. God named himself even in front of us in the word of God. He says, I am. What is your name? My name is I am. That's a pretty interesting name if you think about it. But it's the very same word. It's the very same name, name that Jesus calls himself. Fast forward 4,000 years. Here Jesus is sitting there arguing with the religious leaders of his day. And they said, you're not even yet 50 years old. And you say you saw Abraham 4,000 years ago? Come on. You're mad. You're nuts. And Jesus says, listen, before Abraham was, I am. Here's what Jesus is saying. I not only saw Abraham, but I was actually before Abraham. He saw me. He rejoiced to see my day. Where was that? Well, that's a whole other uh, subject matter, and we'll talk about it. I believe that that moment that he's talking about, and I just to kind of just put this to bed, I don't have time to develop it, but I believe that Jesus, before he was on the scene, he came as the Son of God, if you will, in the form of Melchizedek. And I believe that when you go back into the book of Genesis and you'll find where Melchizedek, he welcomes in Abraham as he went and rescued Lot and, and, uh, you know, and, and defeated with his small little band of army, which was basically just farmers. God delivered uh, Lot and all of the, the city of, of Sodom, if you will, into his hands and, and ended up, what ended up happening is Abraham was coming back in, a king and a priest, a fellow by the name of Melchizedek, came out and he he rejoiced as you as as abraham was coming through but abraham stopped and he gave melchizedek listen he gave him a tithe why would he give him a tithe why would he give him spoils of the of the uh, of the victory because Mel abraham understood who melchizedek was it was a time, and again, I don't have time to get really deep into that, but here's the thing. I believe that that was probably the time that Jesus is referring to. Abraham rejoiced to see my day. Oh, I've seen Abraham. We've talked before. He actually gave me some of his spoils. You're not even yet 50 years old. And you're saying you were back then? Oh, uh, far greater than that, guys. Before Abraham was, I am. 
You just made yourself out to be God. And they picked up stones to throw at him, but he slipped away through their midst. I love how God did that, how Jesus did that. But understand, Paul is one of these guys. This is who Paul is. And he is so... He hates, he just spews with poison from his mouth. And, and the, the hatred just oozes from his pores of his body to destroy the Christians. Because as Paul is thinking, as he's this religious leader, they have been butting heads with Jesus. We killed him. And now there's rumor that he's risen again from the dead. And I'm going to squash this. You remember, Paul is that is the, he's a spokesman, man. He's a guy that's out there to, to make a name for himself, if you will. I've done a, a few character studies of Paul. And as you look back into the life of Paul, you'll understand that when he was Saul, his heart was understood. Back in that day, there was a, an understanding of the religious leaders back in that day that if one Jew most likely a Pharisee, because Pharisees were more righteous than anybody else. And so if you want to become even a little bit more specific, Paul would understand that one Pharisee living perfectly for one day, if he lived perfectly for one day, he would absolutely induce the Messiah to come back on the earth. You see, it's a man-driven doctrine. If I live perfectly, then then God is going to be forced to come back and set up his kingdom on the earth. And when God comes back and sets up his kingdom, nobody is going to come against him. He is going to be more powerful. He'll overthrow the rulers of the world, and he will set up his kingdom upon the earth. And you know what? That's true to a certain extent. You see, the first time that the king came, the first time that Jesus came, he came lowly. On a donkey. And he suffered and died at the hands of mankind. The hands of these Pharisees. He did it because there was no other way for man to make peace with God. God had to make peace with man. Through the person of Jesus Christ. And so so here's the thing. It was preposterous to think if you're Saul that God would send himself back, that's just blasphemous, to become a man. And then not only become a man, but actually have mankind actually overcome him and put him on a cross and kill him. Please. Not my God. My God's more powerful than that. My God is more strong than that. And you know what we... If if really, if truth is known, and if we were to be fair in this situation... Uh, in, in this instance, wouldn't you almost kind of go down that road also? You'd almost think, wait a minute, that just doesn't make sense. I mean, Paul is just going on the teaching that he understood, that he had grown up with, the traditions that had, had be filtered into the church, or filtered into the synagogue, if you will, filtered into the temple. And so he was listening to this. I'm not sitting here to, to excuse Paul, other than to say, it would be hard to live back in that day, and, and to adhere to... A doctrine that the vast majority, everyone in the temple would disagree with. And so Paul has this poison, poisonous feeling toward the church that would say that God would ever become a man and become so weak that mankind could string him up on a cross and kill him. 
not my God. And so before this gets out any further, Paul goes out with absolute venom in his blood and he secures papers from the chief priest there in Jerusalem and he begins to go from city to city, from town to town, from country to country to go and root out the Christians of that day, those who adhere to God becoming a man, dying on a cross, rising again from the dead. I'm going to root this out. I'm going to stop this in its tracks and I'm going to stop anybody from, from propagating this doctrine or propagating this teaching anywhere. And it was 25 years before Paul wrote the book of Romans that he's on his way to Damascus in Syria. And he's on his way up there. And as he's on his way up there to destroy the church that's up there, to creep into the houses, to, to, to bust in on the Bible studies that are going on, much like what we're doing here, except it wasn't as open as this. You'd had to hide into homes and, and do that. It was the undercover church, if you will. And it's the, the underground church. But Paul would infiltrate that, get in there and find and then make himself known. And then they would go in there and they would kill some. They would imprison some. They would drag families and separate families. But on his way up there to Damascus, God knocked him off his high horse. He was on the ground by this huge light and this voice comes out from heaven. He says, Saul, Saul. Why are you persecuting me? And I say booming because that's just what I think. But I mean, it, it could very well be going, you know, just, just Jesus, just hanging, just talking like I am right now. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Isn't it hard for you to kick against the goads? It's a little bit more dramatic. It's Hollywoody, you know, if you hear, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Isn't it hard for you to kick against the goads? And so kind of to Hollywood it up a little bit. But I think that here, here, Paul's down on the ground. And he says, who are you, Lord? And what would you have me to do? And at that moment, the voice came back and said, I'm Jesus, whom you're persecuting. Now get up. Be led into the Damascus. And go down to the street called Straight. And there I have a house for you to stay in. And when you receive your sight back i have i have some work for you to do and saul was stricken with blindness and and you can imagine saul wait a minute saul saul why are you persecuting me i am jesus <laughs> the one you're persecuting saul on the ground going i am in some trouble here i am in some major major trouble and yet he didn't kill me Everything in Saul's life changed from that point. You remember the Lord spoke to a fellow by the name of Ananias and said, Hey, here's what, here, I want you to follow me. Are you a follower of me, Ananias? Yeah, Lord, I'll do anything you want me to do. Really? Yeah, totally. Anything you want me to do. God, I'm with you, thick and thin, anything. All right, well, here's the cool thing. You remember, have you ever heard of the fellow by the name of Saul of Tarsus? Oh, yeah, the guy's vicious, man. He's the most vicious guy against the church, man. He's like the terrorist of the church, you know. And, and, and here God says to Ananias, well, good. Okay, so you've heard him. So you know what he looks like. Um, hey, he's in Damascus right now, and he's at a street called Straight. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to go over to his house and tell him that I have a job for him to do. How would you respond? Uh, 
I think I ate wrong pizza, maybe a wrong falafel. I don't know. Maybe I'm not hearing from the Lord. Maybe that wasn't of you. La, 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 la. I don't want to hear this. I don't want to go. You know, and, and God ends up convincing Ananias. And Ananias goes, and he does talk to Saul. And Saul, come, had, it, it's like scales fell off his eyes. And from that point on, Ananias gave Saul his marching orders as a soldier. 25 years ago, he was called. 25 years later, he writes a book called the Book of Romans. 25 years later, he's not resting back on what happened to him back there in Damascus. 25 years later, he's walking strong. He doesn't look back at the past and go, hey, the past is where my life is. The past is where my life stays. God did a miracle in my life back then and now it's awesome so now I can just breeze the rest of the way through my life. No, Paul, 25 years later, he writes and pens one of the most magnificent pieces of work that this world has ever seen in the book of Romans. How about you? God touched your life one time. God touched your life one time. If you're a Christian in here, you know, God touched your life one time. Pastor Chuck used to say something that was so convicting to me, and I, I, I hate to you know, lay it on you, but I want you to just suffer with me. He said, if you can look back in, in your life and see a time in your life where you were stronger with the Lord and you were growing more with the Lord than you are right now, then my friend, you're in a backslidden state. Ow! That hurts, doesn't it? That hurts. That hurts. That's convicting. Don't let conviction be condemnation, however. There's a difference between conviction and condemnation. Condemnation just makes you feel bad. And you just walk around, you know, with your lip hanging out. And mom, my mom always used to say, you keep your lip out there. A little birdie's going to come and land on it and poop on it. You know, I don't want that. You know, that's kind of gross. That's what condemnation will do. You'll just walk around, oh man, oh man. Conviction is, ah, Lord, man, that's tough. That's real. That's right. That's true. God, I am at fault there, aren't I? Lord, then change me. Change me. Conviction is there to show us our failures, to show us our weakness to show us those inadequacies, to show us those, those times where we have slipped and let the ball go. We've dropped the ball, if you will. And the Lord is saying, okay, I've shown it to you. Now don't walk around with your knuckles dragging on the ground. Get back up on the horse and get going again. Don't look back at a time in your life where you go, oh man, I was so strong there, but now oh, I just, you know, I'm just, just, I'm just, I'm going to church. I'm here. Stop it. There never was a time where this world does not, never in the history of mankind has this world ever been in more need than for Christians to be on fire and on impassioned for Christ today. Than, than at this moment right now. We have an all-out assault on Christianity in America. We have an all-out assault on Christianity in the world. And you've heard me say this before. When God looked at the history of mankind, 
And he chose Paul for his day. I don't know, man. Guys, this will jack me up. This jacks me up when I think about it. This, this should fire you up also. But here's the thing. When God looked at the history of mankind, he saw a time where he wanted to use Abraham. He saw a time where he wanted to use Moses. He saw a time where he wanted to use David. And he, when he wanted to use James and John and Peter and Luke. There was a time when he wanted to use Charles Finney and, and, and Charles Spurgeon. And Charles, why Charles? They're all Charles. If your name's Charles here, you're like holy or something. I don't know. Charles Smith. My name's Charles Haskins. No, it's not. It's Don. I don't know a lot of Dons, but here's the thing. There was a time in a history for all those fellas. They're not here anymore. But, but to think that God chose them for their time in history. He had a plan for them. He has a plan for you. When he looked down through the billions of people that were going to stand upon the face of this earth, somewhere along the line, he came to you in his foreknowledge, in his ability to see the end from the beginning. He is the Alpha and the Omega, right? The beginning and the end. He can see all things from the beginning to the end. In fact, God has no beginning and God has no end. And so God sees it all. He knows it all. And when he came to that place where he's choosing those people that are going to represent him in these last days, his finger pointed to you. It pointed to you. It didn't point to to Chuck Smith. He's gone. It didn't point to... You know, Charles Spurgeon, he's gone. It didn't point to Dwight Moody. I guess if your name's Dwight, you're pretty cool too. Billy Sunday, they're gone. They had their purpose. They had their time. They had their, 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 their fun in the sun, if you will. But right now, we can have the fun in the SON too. Because we can sit here and we can become the men and the women that Christ has called us to be. That God has chosen us to be. We're going to talk about being called next week. Chapter 1 is going to take us a little while to get through. But here's the thing, guys. God handpicked you. He handpicked you like he handpicked Paul. And if you're saved, which I believe most of the people in this room probably are saved, but statistics say that 25% of people that go to church evangelistic churches, 25% of them are not saved. So out of every four persons in here, statistics say one of you is not a Christian. Now, I, I, I would like to say, well, yeah, that, but that's not my church, Lord. Everybody's saved in my church. I don't know. That's between you and the Lord. I don't know who's saved and who's not. That's something that God and you know. It would be a silly thing to go to church your whole life and lose out in the end because you never really truly surrendered your heart to Christ. You never really truly understood the message. Hopefully today we're going to see that in just a few moments. But here's the thing. If you're here and you're saved, there was a time in, in, life, in your life that God called you. Now if you look back on that and you consider those the good old days, you're in a backslidden state. Guys, we have in front of us a lot of work that God wants us to do in the days ahead of us. We've got a great time coming up in front of us right now. Here in four weeks, 
from this Sunday, I believe it's four weeks from this Sunday, we got Easter. Let's get people in here. Let's get out there. Let's start proclaiming Christ for who he is. Let this be the good old days for us. Amen? Does that make sense? Let's make this your good old days. Let's make this our good old days as this church. You know how many people... I have met so many... I probably met 100 people that were the original 25 of Calvary Chapel. Let that sink in for a second. I've met probably 100 people that say, oh yeah, I was one of the original 25. Okay, you're like 99. (laughs) Someone's not telling the truth. But they always go back and go, oh, yeah, I remember those days. I remember those days. I remember those days. And that's something that Chuck was always harping. The the last few years at the pastor's conferences, that's what he was harping on. Guys, guys, quit looking back. Look forward. God's best is yet to come. God's best is yet to come. Your best is yet to come in Christ. 25 years after Paul's conversion... He writes a book that transforms the world, that blows the world away in the book of Romans. It's awesome. So that's the first word of the book of Romans. Paul. I'm going to read first seven verses, at least make us feel like we've gone a long ways. Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated to the gospel of God, which he promised before through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son Jesus Christ our Lord, who was born of the seed of David according to the flesh and declared to be the Son of God with power, according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. Through him... We have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name, among whom you also are the called of Jesus Christ. To all who are in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. By the way, that's one sentence. That's one sentence. This is Paul. This is his heart. We're going to look at a couple of, well, we're going to look at a word today. Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ. What is a bondservant? A bondservant is a slave. A slave, just the very term slave is a very divisive word. Um, How many in here right now think that slavery is okay today? Nobody is raising their hands. Um, uh, let me ask you another question. How many in here practice slavery today? <laughs> oh, I thought you were going, I'm sorry. So. <laughs> I know that, you know, here's the thing. I know you guys are probably going, okay, I, I don't know. Should I raise my hand? Should I not? You know, he's setting us up for something, you know. You know, to all of you who said that you don't believe in or practice slavery, may I graciously offend you today? You're all liars. Uh, or, or you're ignorant. 
You go, wait, you said that weird. I did. It's just you're ignorant. We had a card. I'm, I'm putting business cards together right now. We'll have them for next week for you guys to hand out, you know, for Easter as well as, you know, just for our church. And uh, uh, it was a really well-done business card. I was just looking through the cards, you know, just as last week as I'm putting some things together. And I found this one business card that we had that we still laugh at this day. On the front, it had all of the information of when our service times were and everything. And on the back of the card, it had our little statement of faith. You know, we believe, you know, the Bible to be inspired word of God. We believe God to be, you know, a triune God. We talked about, you know, it, it has a little explanation all this. We believe that the Holy Spirit is still active in the church today. We believe that the worship of God should be intelligent. The one word on the back of the card that should not be spelled, misspelled, was the one word that was misspelled. We believe that the worship of God should be intelligent. And you just go, it just, it's humiliating. I mean, it is just what it is. Proofread things, guys. Proofread things. But we had that card for years before somebody pointed it out. I, yes, and I have it written down in my, in my, my notes here. I, I said, you know, I don't know who it was that pointed it out to me. It might have been Andy Capps. But uh, that pointed out, hey, did you know that it says uh, intelligent? <laughs> no, it doesn't. Yeah. And I look at it, intelligent. Oh, goodness. God is so gracious, isn't he? You know, we had that card for probably five, six years. We were handing that thing out. So that's probably why we were a small church for a long time. <laughs> oh, boy. The ignorant use, the ignorant use of intelligent words. That's just fun. Back to our slavery discussion, uh, which I understand is very one-sided because I'd rather you not speak right now. But um, slavery, you all believe in it and you do practice it. Albeit you might not be consciously aware of it, but you do nonetheless. Uh, the Bible says that you and I are all slaves of someone or something. You may rebut, but, but you know what? I've never been a slave. I've always been free. I've always been free. I don't believe in slavery. I'm not a slave of anything or in a, of anybody. I am my own man. These exact same words were actually spoken by some people in John chapter 8. You can mark it down. don't have time to look it up uh, right now, but you can jot it down. Jesus himself spoke to people just like you who said, these were their exact words. We have never been in bondage to anyone. So how can you, Jesus, say that we, you can make us free? I've never been a prisoner. I've never been a slave to anybody. Jesus answered and said to them in John chapter 8, verse 34, he said, most assuredly, I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. And a slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever. Therefore, if the son sets you free from bondage and the slavery that leads to death, then you shall be free indeed. Awesome words from Christ. Awesome words from Christ, especially in light of what chapter 8 begins with in John. You remember what the chapter begins with. You remember, it was the religious leaders of that day that brought before Jesus a woman caught in the act of adultery. We understand the story. We understand that this woman was thrown down before Jesus and they bring up Moses' law. So Jesus, uh, this woman was caught in the act of adultery in the very act. The law says that we're to stone such a one. What do you say? Jesus writes down on the ground and he 
he's writing. Say, so what do you say? He stands up and he says, he who is without, by the way, in the context of what he said, he was without the same sin that this woman has committed. Let him be the very first one to count this, to cast the very first stone. Okay? And then he goes back down and he, he starts writing again in the ground. And then it says, from the oldest to the youngest, they all walked away. Why? Because I believe that every single one of those men had committed adultery at one time or another in their life, but they've justified it in one way or another in their own life, and they thought that they had gotten away with it. Know this, guys. If you think that you're getting away with anything before God, know this. That secret, that deepest, darkest little sin that you have in your life that nobody else knows about but you, know this. It's being shouted from the rooftops in heaven. It's open scandal in heaven. Your sin is open and bare before God. Deal with it and get beyond it. Don't ever get comfortable in those deep, deep, darkest sins that you have in your life. Oh, but no, it's not hurting anybody else. It's hurting you. It's destroying your life. It's destroying your witness. It's destroying what God desires to do in your life. So knock it off. Confess it before the Lord and get beyond it. Now that was for a lot of people in this room. Here's the thing. As they all walked away, Jesus looked at the girl and said, where are those that accuse you? And notice that there wasn't a guy there. Where's the guy? He's probably a buddy of one of these guys. How did they catch her in the act of adultery and the guy's not there? Hypocrites. Don't become a hypocrite either. Here's the thing. He says, where are those that accuse you? There's none. And Jesus says, neither do I condemn you. Now, go and sin no more. The, the point is, root sin out of your life. Later on in that chapter is where Jesus says, as he says, go and sin no more, he says later on in the chapter, if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. What sin is it that's holding you back? Confess it before the Lord and Jesus promises you, I will set you free. I will set you free. But the long, as long as you do not confess that, as long as you hold on to that, as long as you hold that close to your vest and you don't allow anybody else to know it, I'm not telling you you need to go and confess it to anybody else. Confess it before the Lord and be done with it. I don't need to hear the junk. I don't know, some people feel like they need to come and tell a pastor all the sordid details of their sin. I don't need that in my mind. I, I have enough that I have to deal with myself to keep rooted out and to try to keep what little bit of cleanliness I have in my mind there. And so here's the thing, I don't need yours being poured in on top of it. Okay, I know you've got some bad things that are going on. Okay, yeah, it's ugly. Stop talking. I don't need to have that in my brain to come and think of, you know, as I'm driving down the road somewhere. Just say, hey, I've really blown it. I've really screwed up, man. I've had some horrible, horrible, vile things going on in my mind. Okay, that's enough. Go to the Lord. What are you doing with it? We want to make confessing sin more than what it's supposed to be. Just get on with life, man. Confess it before the Lord and get rid of it. Don't dwell on it. Get rid of it. Be free. Because this, that's what the son's there for. He's there to set you free. And if you're, if you're free, he says, you'll be free indeed. And if you're not, well, then Jesus is a liar. Or you are just not wanting to let go. Let go. 
and watch God do a work in your life. Let this be your good old days, as we've been saying. Here's the thing. Whatever sin you toy with all the time, that's what you're a slave to. You're a slave to that sin. I'm not a slave. I could stop anytime I want. You ever hear an alcoholic say that? I can stop anytime I want. All right, we'll stop now. Don't want to. Of course you don't, because you're an alcoholic. No, I could stop anytime I want to. I've got a buddy that, that, that is an alcoholic. I mean, he's a hardcore alcoholic. You're an alcoholic. I'm not an alcoholic. I just enjoy the taste of beer. Okay. I brew all my own, and I get drunk all the time. Okay, you're an alcoholic. You need Jesus. I don't, really don't need Jesus, but I'm really not an alcoholic. I just like the taste of beer. Well, then stop. This guy actually told me one time, he, he started developing these rashes on his body. <laughs> not to get into it, but he started developing these rashes on his body. And as he was developing these rashes, he was going to a, a skin specialist. And, and the skin specialist was going, well, it might, I, I'm thinking that there might be some yeast issues here. Which he understood, yeast is necessary for beer. <laughs> here he's a fairly newly married guy. And I'm talking to him. I'm going, what are you going to do? You are going to have to do what I've been telling you to do all along. He goes, no, here's the thing. If it comes back that I cannot drink another beer, I'm going to find a a high building. I'll just jump. You're really going to... I will. I'll tell my wife, I love you, but I'm not going to go through the rest of life without being able to taste beer because I love it that much. I said, you're an alcoholic. I'm not an alcoholic. I just love the taste of beer. So much so that you'd leave your wife. You'd kill yourself before you'd... Is there something skewed here? Something a little wrong? Yeah, I do. I thought so. I'm, I thought it was just me, but it's you guys too. Um, here's the thing. What is it that is your deepest, darkest sin? What is it that you struggle with all the time? What is it that you are reluctant to hand over to the Lord? What is it that you're reluctant to just lay out before the Lord and say, Lord, it's yours. Take it. I don't want this anymore. That's what the Lord wants you to do. He wants you to come open-handed and go, Lord, here I am. Send me. Here I am. I'm free from all of this. I want to be used by you, but God, this sin has been holding me back. And now, Lord, today I give it to you and I give it to you tomorrow. And I, I might have to give it. You might have to give it to the Lord every five seconds. But be assured of this, Saint. Listen, those five seconds will turn into 10 seconds one day. Those 10 seconds will turn into a minute. Those minutes will turn into a, an hour and, and, and into a day and into somewhere down the road you're going to go, man, I don't struggle with that anymore. Now don't get comfortable. The enemy knows that he'll come back and hit you in areas that you're weak on. But a pastor uh, taught me one time, a long time ago, a fellow by the name of John Corson. Some of you guys know that. I was talking to him about some issue in my life that I was dealing with and I was just struggling with. It was just a, a, a sin that I just was having a hard time getting rid of. And, and he, he grabbed a hold of me and he spoke in his Corsonistic way. Brother, listen. The next time that Satan comes and tempts you with this sin, here's what I want you to do. You listening to me, brother? Ho, 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 You know, if you ever know Corson, that's him. I want you to, to pray. 
Pray for ten people. Put me on your list, okay? Cool. But put me on your list. But you pray for ten individual people. I'm going to share this with you because I've added a little bit to it. But here's the thing. He says, pray for ten different people. Don't just say, okay, I'm going to pray for ten people. No, no, no. Pray for them by name. Not to establish a formula. And he was saying, Don, I'm I'm not trying to establish a formula with you. But we need to fight fire with fire. So here's the thing. Oftentimes, we as believers, we start to get tempted by sin and we run back and we hide behind the shield of faith and we say, Lord, Lord, the darts, the fiery darts of the wicked one are hitting me and I'm hiding behind the shield. And he says, that's a great place to go. Hide behind the shield, hide behind it quick. That's a great thing. But sadly and far too often is the case, we as Christians, we stop right there. We just hide behind the shield. Whereas we're Christians, man, we're Christian soldiers. Don, wield the sword. Use the shield, but use the sword. And he says, hide behind, take the fiery darts first, and then wield the sword. And you begin to pray for 10 individuals by name that might be dealing with the same exact sin that you are. Lord, protect me from this issue. And Lord, right now, I lift up Kevin. I lift up Kevin. Right now, God, I lift up Brian, I lift up Bandy, I lift up Brett, I lift up these guys. One by one, Lord, you know a sin that they're dealing with right now. You know a sin that they struggle with on a day-by-day basis. Right now, Lord, as you're protecting me by the power of your Holy Spirit, God, I intercede on their behalf. You come before them, Lord, and you strengthen them today. As the enemy beats down on them, Lord, you beat back on the enemy. And here's the thing, when you pray, When you're praying, here's what's happening. Satan takes a little fiery dart, is what it's called. And they hurt when they hurt, when they hit. They can destroy you. Don't get me wrong. I don't want to make light that those darts are not effective. The thing is, is that when we wield the sword, we're taking like intercontinental ballistic nuclear bombs and throwing them off into into hell and just boom! And we're just destroying years and years and years of work that Satan and his minions have been doing and just pounding on brothers and sisters. And so as we're interceding on behalf of those others, we're just... Bombs are going off in hell and strongholds are being thrown down and and broken down. And so here's the thing. I've hid. The Lord has protected me, but now I'm wielding a sword and I'm now going out and I'm, I'm fighting for you and you're fighting for me. And every time that Satan comes, and this is something that he said, it was, he says, Don, it's very important. Next time Satan does it, and it might be five minutes later, you pray for 10 other people or you pray for those same 10 individuals. You pray for another 10 people. And if it's another five minutes, you do it again. And here's what you're going to do. When you do that, Satan is going to go, I'm going to throw a dart at you. And he's going to get hit with ten times the amount of pressure that he's hitting on you. After a while, even Satan is smart enough to say, I'm backing off because he's killing me. It's bad for business to hit Don. It's bad for business to hit this guy because he's tearing down strongholds that it's taken me years to build. And so here's the thing. When you're tempted, when you struggle in sin, you put me on that list. You put others on that list. And you pray for those 10 individuals. And it might be every 10 minutes. It might be every minute. But that will start to 
get a little bit more distant as time goes on because the enemy is going to know, man, if I go to this person, I'm going to get hit back 10 times more than I'm hitting him or her. I don't mean to make it a formula. I really don't. But man, we need to start wielding the sword. We need to start beating back on the enemy because the enemy has definitely taken a lot of shots at us. I don't know if anybody that resonates with anybody, but I, it resonates with me. So if you, y'all are just listening to what I'm saying to myself right now, employ it and watch what God does. Here's the thing. Paul also talks about it in Romans chapter 6. He says this. Romans chapter 6, jot this note down. You can look it up later. I'm actually going to read out of the New Living Translation because I like the way that it reads here. It says in Romans chapter 6, verse 16, he says, don't you realize that you become the slave of whatever you choose to obey? You can be a slave to sin, which leads to death, or Paul gives you a choice. He says, or you can choose to obey and become a slave of God. This is a choice that you and I have. On a day-by-day basis, you have a choice of which, who you're going to be a slave of. Who you're going to be a slave of. Thank God, he says, once you were slaves of sin, but now you wholeheartedly obey this teaching which we've given you. Now you're free from your slavery of sin or to sin. And you have become slaves to righteous living. Listen to this, guys. It's going on. This is a really great passage for us right now, especially very apropos for what we're talking about. Paul says, because of the weakness of your human nature, I'm using this illustration of slavery to help you understand all of this. Previously, you let yourselves be slave to impurity and lawlessness, which led to ever deep, which led ever deeper into sin. Now you must give yourselves to be slaves to righteous living so that you will become holy. When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the obligation to do right. But what was the result? You are now ashamed of those things that you used to do. Things that end in eternal doom. But now you're free from the power of sin and you've become slaves of God. Now you do those things that lead to holiness and result in eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Yes, that's what precipitates that very well-known verse. You're a slave of something. You're either a slave to God or you're a slave to the enemy. The Bible, I don't have time to get into it. In Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, you can go back and look at that yourself. It's going to talk about who the prince of the power of the air, the prince who now works in the sons of disobedience. That's talking about Satan, by the way. That's who you used to be if you're a Christian here. Who you used to basically bowed down to as your king. Now, you might not go, I never bowed down to Satan. Oh, but if you did what he wanted you to do, you were his subject. And what would be silly is for somebody who is a subject of Christ to continue to live like the subject of the enemy, like the subject of Satan. And, and, and for us to continue to live in that, Satan will put you on a hook and make you think that you cannot get out of this guilt and this shame. Get out of it, Christian. You can do it. Run to Jesus. He'll set you free. And when he sets you free, you'll be free indeed. You'll be free indeed. Let me finish. You are a slave that's been established. It's a fact, but it's to whom are you a slave of? Think about, you know, think about Paul correctly calling himself a, a slave. Some of your Bibles will say slave. Some will say bond slave. Others will, will lighten the meaning of it a little bit and, and use the word bond servant or servant. 
because it's a little bit easier to, a little bit more palatable. Servant. I don't like to be called slave because slave has a negative connotation. But I think that the Bible does, the translators do a little disservice to this power of this message right here of the bond slave when you remove slave from the pack, from the, from the, the interpretation. Because here's the thing servant, oh, we all love to call each other servants. Oh, that, that, she's such a servant. She's such a servant. He's, oh, that guy is such a servant. He's an awesome servant. When was the last time you heard somebody go, oh, she is such an awesome slave? That guy is an awesome slave. I dig that. That guy, that guy he shows what a slave is all about. I mean, I, I aspire to be a slave like that guy. We, we just don't talk like that. Why? It's an offensive word. It's meant to be an offensive word. It's meant to draw a picture of what that person is. A slave is a slave. You're owned by someone. You're not a servant to, well, I might be a servant of God's today. You're either a servant of God's or you're not. You're either a slave of the Lord or you're not. You're either a slave of the enemy or you're not. If you're not, you're a Christian. If you are, you aren't. A slave. The word is, and, and I got to finish with this. The, the actual word bond servant or slave or bond, you know, bond slave or, or servant is actually the word, the Greek word doulos, doulos, excuse me, doulos, D O U L O S. It literally means this a slave, one who is in permanent relation of servant, who is in a permanent relationship of servitude to another, his will being altogether consumed in the will of the other. You get that? Listen. A slave is one who is in a permanent relation of servitude to another, his will of the slave being altogether consumed in the will of the one in whom he's a serve or a slave to. You see, a slave forfeits his rights. A slave lives to please his master. Every decision of a slave is first considered through the master that he serves. In other words, the decision of a slave was not made for his own selfish purposes, but for his master's purposes. And think about it this way. And, and have you ever enjoyed working for a company? Maybe you have a really wonderful company that you enjoy working for right now, and that's awesome. Maybe you have a company that you don't really enjoy working for, so this, you're going to have to think back when you started. <laughs> Okay, because all of us, when we start a new job, we go for it with all gusto, don't we? We go and we want to make the company look good. We want to give everything that we have. We don't do anything out of selfish ambition, but we do things in order to make the company look good. We get a complaint on the phone. What do we do? Even today, you might not even really be a happy camper with your company. But if you're any kind of an employee, you're going to sit there and you're going to try to allay the fears of the client that is disgruntled on the phone by, you know, elevating your business and saying, well, here's, here's the thing. It's got to be an anomaly because our business is not meant to do that. This is not who we are. Our business is this. Our business is that. We'll do everything we can do. I will do everything we can do to make this right. You're doing it for the company. And that's the idea behind a slave. A slave is there to do it for the one in whom he serves. And if Christ is the one that you serve, you are lifting up Christ. And the word doulos comes actually from four different words, four different words that it comes from. It comes from a, 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 a word that, that means uh, to be a, a slave driver. 
It comes from that word, the slave driver. Who is the slave driver that is, sl- that is driving you? It has another uh, form of the word. It's, it takes into account who drives uh, the person, uh, who drives the slave. It takes into account who is this person a slave to. It takes into account who bought this slave and who made him a slave in the first place. Here's the thing. All of those things mention and are dependent upon the slave driver or the person in whom the slave is in uh, slavery to or submitted to or in subjection to. And so when you look and you consider the two things, that you, the two people that you could basically uh, be uh, in service to, you've got the enemy and you've got, you've got Satan and you've got Jesus. And so when you consider the shepherd and you consider the deceiver, those are the ones that you are in service to or in servitude to or in, in a, uh, enslaved to. Guys, it's a wise decision to give yourself fully to the Lord as his bond slave. Because here's the thing about Jesus. He takes excellent care of those committed to him. Their lives are filled with purpose and focus and their hearts with peace and joy. Here's the thing. Jesus says himself, are any of you weary and heavy laden? Then take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For my burden is easy. My yoke is easy, I'm sorry, and my burden is light. Jesus will never ask you to do anything that he himself has not also done. He came as a servant. Philippians chapter 2 uses the same exact servant word, the same exact word of doulos, doulos. He came in the form of a doulos for you and I. Here's God in human flesh and he becomes a servant to you and I. He came as a servant. He came as a ransom for you and for me. He died for you and he died for me. And he wants to purchase your soul to do what he would have you to do. Well, that's pretty narcissistic, isn't that of him? I mean, doesn't that kind of say a lot about who he is? It says everything about who he is. He has a purpose for your life. He has a true purpose for your life. And here's the thing. As his slave, as Paul says, I am a slave of Christ. That's who I am. It's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. I've been crucified. My flesh is done, he says there in Ephesians, or in, in, in Galatians chapter 2. I'm done. My, my life is over. Saul, gone. Paul, even gone. By the way, Saul's name literally means asked for. Everybody asked for Saul. Everybody looked up to Saul, the Pharisee. But he changed his name to Paul, which literally means little. It shows the humility of the man going from it's all about me and how wonderful I can become or how wonderful I am to it's all about him and how wonderful he can become. John said it best. 
John the Baptist. They said, Jesus is, look at, people are following after Jesus and they're leaving you, John. What should we do? And John said, oh, that I might decrease and that he would increase. To take the proper picture of who you and I are supposed to be. Us decrease, him increase. We become the slave. He becomes the master. We become the sheep. He becomes the shepherd and he will lead you and I beside still waters. He will protect us as a good shepherd. He will protect the sheepfold when we're inside resting for the evening so that thieves and robbers do not get in and wolves do not come and tear us apart. This is the shepherd in whom we are to be following. It doesn't sound like a hard thing to be following a servant or a a master that way. And what's more, he's never going to go, I want you to do this. That's so tough, God. That's so tough, Jesus. I mean, you never had to do that. No, I did. He's done every single thing you have done. He was tempted in all points as you, and yet without sin, the Bible tells us. That's a servant I want to follow. I want to follow somebody who understands me, who understands the pain and the suffering or, or, or the struggles that we go through in life. Especially when that one says, I was there, I made it through, and I can help you. But you just got to trust me. Okay, I'll do it. Lord, I'm there. I'm all in. I'm all in. Paul was a bondservant. We got through three words today. Father, thank you so much. Lord, help us to be a bondservant. Help us to be a bondservant, which, Lord, as you know, I didn't get all the way through my notes. That bondservant is a willing slave. It's a slave that, that after six years he could, he could go free, but because he loved his master so much. We find it in, 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 in Deuteronomy chapter 6, where that uh, slave can go be set free, but because he loved his master so much, he says, I don't want to leave. I want to I submit myself under this master. I want to I live with this guy. I want to live under him and, and under his leading and his guidance and his provision for the rest of my life. And so as that master then takes this slave, this willing slave to the judges of the city and they make the approve, they approve of this and they make the agreement and he takes this slave back to the barn, if you will, and drives an awl through his right earlobe and puts an earring in it. It's a signification that there is no longer this life. I'm a slave. I'm a willing slave. I'm a bond servant. I am a bond slave. I'm one that has chosen myself to follow after my master because I love him. It was a choice back then. It was a choice that Paul says that he himself has made. And now, Lord, I pray that there are those in this room that we have made that decision to be a willing slave of yours. The enemy will give us only so much as to make us think that we're safe. And then, in the end, we will have it all ripped out from under us. And we will be lost for eternity. You, Lord, on the other hand, you are the great shepherd and you will lead us. Doesn't mean that we're not going to get into dangerous spots, but Lord, what you've promised us is that you will never leave or forsake us. You'll be there with us. Doesn't mean that we won't enter into tragic circumstances. Doesn't mean that there won't be huge loss in our life where we will be stripped down to absolutely nothing where our, where our hearts are rent so harshly and, 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 and we're so desperately looking for, for hope or, and, and we will find it in you. 
will find it in you. The enemy has no answers to that. But you do. And so, Lord, I pray that if there's anyone in here today that, that they've looked at themselves and they, they go, man, I, I, you know, maybe I'm one of that, that, the, the quarter that is in here, the 25% that doesn't have a relationship with Christ. Uh, I don't want that anymore. I want, I want to know that if I were to die, I'd be going to heaven right now. Lord, if, if, if that's anybody out there, would you just simply open your heart to Christ? He's here, here to, to listen to you. Ask him, just tell him you want, you want eternal life. Tell him that you've, you've blown it all these years. Let him know who you are, what you are. He knows it already. It's not like God isn't going to look at you and you say, well, Lord, I'm a sinner. He's going to wow, I didn't know. He knows. The point is, do you know? Do you realize? Do you confess? Do you acknowledge your sin? And do you call your sin what God calls your sin? That's what, that's what confession is all about. You're just agreeing with God with what he's already called it. Do you trust that God paid for your sin upon the cross? Do you believe that Jesus died on that cross and he rose again three days later for you to pay the penalty of your sin, past, present, future? Not so that you can reside in sin, not so that you can just continue to live in sin, that grace would abound. The Bible says absolutely not. You don't do that. But that when we fall, when we, when we blow it, you're there as our advocate, Lord, to, to pick us back up and forgive us and to cleanse us. And so if you're out there and you, you want that salvation, you just open your heart to him. You just simply say, Lord, I'm a sinner and you know it. I'm not a Christian. Not yet at least. But right now I want to become one. I want to know that my sin is forgiven. God, I want to live for you. And I don't even know what that entails, but I, I, want, to, I want to do this. I, I want to be that handpicked person that, that you came along through the history of mankind, through the billions of people. And when your finger touched me, Lord, I want to be all that it is that you want me to be. For in that, Lord, is where true fulfillment will be and contentment in life. I don't want my life to be about me because I am so depressed in how my life has been going because I've been living it for me. I want to live for you from this day forward. Come into my heart and be my Lord and my Savior. I believe you, Jesus, died on a cross as God in human flesh. You were God and you hung on a cross for me. You didn't have to. You did it anyways. I believe you rose again from the dead for me. Forgive me of my sin. Make me new. Wash me clean. Take my life. And let it be all that you ever desire it to be. Help me to live that life, Lord. For the rest of us, Lord, let this be a new beginning for many of us in this room, if not all of us. Let us walk from this building knowing that there's a plan and a purpose for us this week, even this day. What do you desire to do in our life? Help us to begin to look through the perspective of your eyes and not our own. What would you have us to do today? Sir, Lord, Master, King, God, Friend. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.